0: Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Unmuted? Yes, I am. <clears throat> I thought for a minute you were playing Better Man by, uh, I texted you that, by Pearl Jam. I thought hey, you were playing the intro. Come and get your love. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, happy Valentine's Day, or Valentine's Day, just to drive you crazy. And uh, we're doing a summer on the patriarchs. So it's not thematic at all. So let's get that out of the way. Enjoy chocolate. I do know the story of Valentine. And if you were at the marriage retreat this week, you know who put St. Valent- Valentine to death, right? What emperor? Claudius. Very good. Some people remember. Claudius II. Claudius Jr. Okay. <clears throat> um, so there's that. And I have to find my place here and here. I am glad you're here. This, I've, uh, it's been off this week and minus zero degrees is not helping, Um, but I'm glad you're here and I'm glad um, to be here. Uh, Kids, I have a a question and that's a broad range of kids. Um, I'm going to read a quote and and I want you to tell me who said it. Okay. It's a deep quote, so you're gonna, it's, it may take you a, take a second. Um, One often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. Who said it, Chase? Does anybody know? I'll give you a hint. It was a turtle. What? It was not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. It was another turtle. It's not from Finding Nemo. All right, it's from Kung Fu Panda. Master Shifu is talking to Master Oogway, which Master Oogway, by the way, here's a little known fact. You know what Oogway means in Chinese? Turtle. There you go. It's a certain dialect, but that that's what the internet told me. <laughs> so... Uh, Remember, Master Shifu is talking to Master Uguay, and Master Uguay gives the warning that the dangerous uh, and horrible uh, Tai Lung is, he, he had a vision that Tai Lung was going to escape from prison. And remember what Shifu does? Shifu immediately turns and grabs the duck, I don't know the duck's name, um, and and says go and make the prison as secure as you possibly can, I want double the guards, there's no way that that that, that uh, Tai Lung is getting out. You guys remember this? Kung Fu Panda is such a great movie. Um, and the duck flies in and what happens? His feather goes down the giant pit and Tai Lung is able to get the feather and what? And escape, a pretty pres- impressive escape too. And that's, a, that's quite a prison built for one, Cat, um, but he escapes. But and and that's when uh, you know when Shifu flashes back to all these evil things that Tai Long has done. That's when and he tells the he tells the guy to go. He tells the duck to go and make the, the prison secure. That's when Ugwe uh, says this famous line: "One often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it." But something else happens as a result of uh, Tai Long breaking out. The formation of who? The dragon warrior, right? Jack Black becomes (laughs) the dragon warrior, which seems just as as unrealistic as that panda becoming. Okay. Um, Now there is in fact a great lesson to be learned from that statement, although as followers of Jesus, uh, we, would, we would say that destiny, that term destiny, that destiny actually has a name, right? Uh, we, we read it this morning. Uh, Colossians tells us that, that, that the God who by whom, for whom, and all th- uh, through whom all things are made, and he holds all things together, uh, that, that Jesus actually, and we read it in Proverbs, wisdom, who held the world together. Greek is known as logos, logic. Greeks believed in an impersonal force. If we want to say destiny is an impersonal force, we would, as followers of Jesus, we would say destiny is actually a very personal force. And it's Jesus himself. And there is a a, a truth there that we oftentimes find and meet Jesus in the places where possibly we are seeking to avoid him. And we can see the plan of God unfold And the goal for this morning is not to find pathways to avoid him, but to actually be intentional about pathways where we can see him at work, even in the darkest of places, even in the places where we may think uh, there's no way he could work here. To actually see from the beginning that, that Tai Lung's escape from prison actually will have redemptive purposes in the formation of the dragon warrior and then apply that to regular life right? Are you tracking with me or are you just going back through? Okay. Um, So uh, this week we're going to continue on in our sermon series, Far as the Curse is Found. Uh, And in a broad sense, we're going to cover basically the rest of the book of Genesis, but we're actually going to narrow in primarily on Abraham and what happens after God makes this promise with Abraham and how that then sets the trajectory for what's coming forward. Uh, So um, to do that, though, we're actually not going to look in Genesis. We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the great faith chapter. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why the book of Hebrews was written in just a second. But if you want to uh, turn there, you can turn uh, to uh, Hebrews chapter 8. That's near the back of your Bible. It's kind of hard to find. On my Bible, it's in, uh, on page 1392. But I can't remember if my Bible is, is uh, on track with the Bible's in the pews anymore. So, um, Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, verses eight through 22, all right? If you can follow along while we read here. Ugh, I can't see anymore. All right, by faith, we're going down through all the heroes of the faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going, And him, as good as dead, we'll cover that, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Verse 13, all of these, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Are we tracking on here? Do I have the same? Okay. this All right. Sorry. Um, Verse 16. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in fact uh, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. We will not cover that last part concerning uh, Joseph's bones. We may get to it in the future. Uh, Hebrews 11 is called the great faith chapter. Hebrews as a book uh, is, is, uh, we don't have a whole lot of history of of who it's written to and what it's written about or or, or, uh, who wrote it, but it is a book filled with both warnings and encouragements. It's a book written to people who are familiar with the Hebrew scriptures and it's people who are wrestling and struggling with their faith. Can we really trust Jesus? And so this book is both, uh, the author is trying to tell the readers not to abandon Jesus even in the face of darkness, even in the face of persecution because Jesus is faithful and he is good. The God who who has promised these things is good and he's faithful. And instead of rejecting the gracious call of God to be reconciled through Christ, just because you're facing persecution, keep pressing. Walk on. Many who have come before you have faced darkness and have faced persecution and has faced uncertainty and they pressed on. And history, not just this unknown faith, but history has taught us that God is faithful. So hang in there. Press on. So, the question that we're going to look at as we walk through this time together this morning, uh, and, and the one I want just kind of floating over your head and maybe permeating your thoughts and minds, is, is this question How am I, am I, or how am I practicing right now to trust God? How am I practicing right now trusting God so that whatever happens tomorrow, I can trust him then? How am I building in a habit or habits of actually trusting God and I'm not just winging it? We're all trusting something. We're all putting our faith in something. How am I building habits or practices now to actually trust God so that when a trial comes or so that when something happens or when it's in the dark and I'm not sure if I can see how this is going to end? This, this, is, this would have been a great sermon a year ago, right? But it's, it's still good. Well, I'm not going to say the sermon's good. The thought is still good. Um, and uh, how am I practicing right now that this is true, that Jesus is Lord, that God is trustworthy, that I can trust him? Now, here's the thing. I, I also want to say what I'm not saying, Okay? Sometimes the biggest trouble we can get in is what is not said, and we tend to fill in the blanks. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying deny reality. I'm not saying don't wrestle with hard things. I'm not saying don't ask hard questions. I'm not saying trust Jesus and shut up and don't ever ask a hard question. God never does that. He never does that. But I'm saying we'll ask different questions submitted under something than we will from the outside. Right? If you want to poke holes in Jesus, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys, are, you can poke holes in, the, in, in anything you want to from the outside. When you're submitted unto it, you're asking different questions. Right? So I want you to ask good questions, submitting to Jesus. I don't get this. If it's a hard time, if it's a dark time. I don't quite understand. Um... There was a, uh, so I'm not saying don't do that, do that. What I am saying is we're not neutral. We are putting our faith, we are actively putting our faith in something. We are actively trusting something. Uh, There used to be, I don't know if there still is, there used to be, it was an atheistic group called, they were, they labeled themselves objectivists, uh, claiming that they saw the world from an objective standpoint. We're not, we're not confounded by the, 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 uh, the weight of religion so we can see the world from an objective standpoint. And my humor in that, that I would always just kind of respond in my snarkier days, was, um, was thank you for letting us know just how blind you are. Nobody's objective. Guys, we're not objective. We're not seeing the world from an objective standpoint. Um, there, uh, I don't remember who, uh, Dawkins. Somebody asked Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, the known atheist. Somebody asked him at a, at a uh, conference one time, uh, you know, what if you're wrong? You're this atheist, what if you're wrong? And he said, what if I'm wrong? Uh, the only, he said, if, if you're, uh, the only reason you're a Hindu is if you're born in India. The only reason you're a, a Muslim is because you're born in the Middle East. The only reason you're a Christian is because you're born in America. You know, what if I'm wrong, what if you're wrong? But nobody said, well, the only reason you're a relig- religious relativist is because you were born in the UK. You have to apply that to yourself too. You haven't somehow seen the light. None of us are objective. We're all putting our faith in something. And we're all practicing that, whether it's intentional or unintentional. So, permeating our thoughts this morning, how are we intentionally practicing this truth that Christ has risen from the grave? The author of Hebrews is writing to a church that's being persecuted, and he's trying to compel them to take stock in what has been revealed. The stories in the Hebrew scriptures that they are familiar with, particularly the first uh, five chapters, the Torah, the law, and then he's compelling them with these stories, the people of faith throughout here, to, to run with endurance, to keep going, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So, as we listen to the good and the bad of these stories of faith, how are we practicing now the reality? of Christ risen so that we can run with endurance. The race set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Okay? So hopefully with that dripping over your soul and your mind this morning, let's look at some of these stories of, the. I say the patriarchs, really it's just gonna focus in on Abraham uh, and this new movement that God has started with him in this covenant. Now, I was going to kind of go through Stories of all of the patriarchs, Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob, there are so many to cover. So I'm just going to go through Abraham, and even with Abraham, there's a whole lot to cover. So instead of reading through all these, uh, I will encourage you, this is going to be chapter 12 through 21 into 22 in Genesis. Uh, If you want to go back and read and ask questions afterwards, please do. Uh, But I'm going to give you kind of an overview so that we can get out before the snowstorm tonight. Is there still a snowstorm tonight? Jeremy? Jeremy? The optimist. So no, it's not going to hit. I love you. Uh, No, yeah. All right. Um, God has redeemed a people. He is is beginning this redemption plan with a people uh, for his mission. And what is his mission? His mission is to bring redemption to the world. His mission is to form this people that will go and put on display for the rest of the known world, those who have been scattered, the image and goodness and mercy of God. And yes, there will be judgment. But their call is to go and put on display the blessing and presence of God. And the person who's been redeemed, that from him will come this nation, is Abraham. God makes this miraculous covenant with Abraham. Why? We don't know. We don't know exactly what, why Abraham. It might be because God knew the heart of Abraham and his faith. But we're not told why. Um, but God makes this covenant kind of out of nowhere in Genesis 12 with Abraham. Uh, and the promise that God gives Abraham is that there is go- he's going to have land, which is huge in that day. That's not the end, but that's the means. He will have land right smack, dab, uh, right smack dab in the middle of the known world. That there will be a seed. He will have a child. And from that child would form a people. And that the mission of that people, God would bless The world would make his blessings known actually far as the curse is found. Everywhere that the curse reached, God would use this people to make his blessing known throughout the known world. And that he would do that by blessing this people. And at the end of Genesis 12, Abraham uh, Abraham is shown the land that he will possess. He's shown Canaan, but there's a famine in Canaan, and the Canaanites are still in Canaan. So Abraham goes past Canaan and goes down to Egypt. And as they're walking into Egypt, Abraham and his wife, Abraham turns to his lovely wife and says, Hey, honey, you're really attractive. That's good. So they may want to kill me if they find out you're my wife. So just tell them you're my sister. That's bad. Okay, they walk into Egypt, sure enough, Pharaoh looks and says, hey, this woman's attractive. Abraham Abraham says, she's my sister. Pharaoh takes her into his harem, and where Abraham abandons Sarah, God does not. God defends her. God sends a plague on Pharaoh's household. And Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and says, dude, why didn't you tell me this was your sister? This was your wife. Why did you tell me this was your sister? And why didn't you tell me this is your wife? Take her and all your stuff and get out of here. In many ways, actually, Pharaoh demonstrates a proper fear of the Lord that Abraham doesn't. Abraham has a, a Pharaoh has a proper, and has experienced the power and authority of God that Abraham doesn't. Now, um, Abraham abandons Sarah. God does not. God protects her. Now, here's the thing. A few chapters later, this is going to happen again. This is going to happen again. They're going to go into the land of Gerar and with a king Abimelech. This is the Philistines. This is the land of the Philistines. And they're going to go there. And Abraham's going to pull the same thing. And then he's going to pass that down. Isaac's going to do the same thing to Abimelech. Abimelech ought to also join in learning here. But, but he tells Abimelech, this is my sister. Abimelech says she's very attractive. I, I want to take her into my uh, as part of my um, harem, uh, whatever. And God visits uh, Abimelech in a dream and says, you're a dead man, for you've taken another man's wife. And Abimelech's like, whoa. And he goes out to Abram and says, dude, why didn't you tell me this was your wife? And Abimelech actually gives him stuff, sheep and, and silver and all this stuff. Again, A king who has not been given the promise of God demonstrates the proper fear of God that Abraham, who has been given God's promise, does not demonstrate. After this, between those two things, and and, and, uh, during all this, Abraham has to rescue his nephew from Sodom and Gomorrah. uh, And in that time, God makes another promise to Abraham. Because here's the thing, Abraham still has questions. Do you know why Abraham was 75 years old? God's promised him you would have a child. And however long, he's at least 75, however long this is taken, he still doesn't have a child. And Abraham's kind of freaking out. And he's going, am I going to have to adopt? Is this going to have to be somebody from my household? What's happening here? And God makes another covenant with Abraham. In his grace and mercy, God makes another covenant with Abraham. Now, I don't know if this is, I, this is how things were done back then. Uh, he has Abraham slaughter animals. And, and make a pathway. Separate them and make a pathway down the middle. And they are to walk through that pathway. That's how they make the covenant. I am so thankful for like handshake and, and signed contract these days, right? Can you imagine closing on a house and being like, all right, get the, get the cows and the oxen. And you and the previous owner are going to have to walk through. No? Okay. Anyway. Um, and so night falls. Night falls. And God in a, uh, I have to get, it's a a pot of fire, a fire pot, smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. God passes through the middle of the uh, slaughtered animals and Abraham does not. In other words, what God is establishing right off the bat, God is going to be faithful on his end and on Abraham's end that he will fulfill this covenant. God will be the one to fulfill this covenant. Whether Abraham is faithful or not, God will be the one to fulfill this. God will be the keeper. God will be the one to establish his people and God will be faithful to his people because he is good and he is faithful, not us. What we see throughout the story of Genesis, if you go back and read the story of Genesis, and shoot, just really the whole uh, Bible uh, is is what you will see is that these other kings and these other nations, the outsiders, the others, they are never a threat to God's kingdom. In fact, there is no real threat to God's kingdom. God will establish his kingdom. But if it were possible to be a threat, the biggest problem in God's kingdom, the biggest problem uh, the biggest threat to the kingdom of God is the people of God. Abraham is going to go on from here and then he and Sarah are going to try to manufacture this seed on their own terms. Sarah's going to bring in her servant Hagar and the goal is Abraham is going to have a child with Hagar and that's going to be... Sarah's child and somehow that would go well. Let me take just a quick break here and tell you something. The stories of Genesis are descriptive. They are not prescriptive. Okay. I feel like I should say that. This is not telling us what we should do. This is telling us what Abraham did do. Okay. This is not a good idea. And that bears fruit of it not being a good idea. And then after that fiasco, God makes another covenant with Abraham. In chapter 17, Abraham is going to be circumcised at 99 years old. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, Now, here's the thing. I'm going to stay on here for just a second. Circumcision was very common, actually, among the Semitic people. If you remember, the Semitic people are those who are descendants of Shem. It's very common. It's not common among the Philistines, but it is common among the Semitic people. And there were different reasons. There were cultic beliefs and different religious beliefs of what happened with circumcision that had a whole lot to do with fertility. So I'll skip the why and the what behind that. But Abraham is circumcised at 99, and then guess what happens? Sarah gets pregnant. Finally, after 25 years, Abraham and Sarah see the faithfulness of God's promise. After doubting and fleeing and failing and remembering and trying to manufacture it their own way, Abraham and Sarah finally see the fulfillment of God's promise. Listen, this gets us through the first 21 chapters of the Bible, and it's confusing at least Right. If this is the opening 30 minutes of a movie, you're looking at this, going, "This is a tragedy." What's supposed to be the application of this text? <laughs> what What are we supposed to take from this? How am I supposed to apply this to your everyday? Um, I will say this again: we are not we are not called to look at this as a moral guide. And really, can I just say, primarily, we are not called to look at Scripture as a moral guide. Are there laws and rules that God gives as his covenant and obedience? Yes. But primarily, what we are to look at Scripture at is this is the story of God making himself known. It is an invitation to a relationship. Does that have moral implications? Absolutely. But the Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. It is the story of God's goodness and mercy offered to and then through his people. And what we see in Hebrews, this is a story primarily about God's faithfulness, but also what we see in Hebrews is this is a story for us to help and be encouraged by Abraham and Sarah's faith and trusting God's faithfulness. And you may think, well, they didn't really do a super great job of that. But think about it, 25 years trusting and believing God when they couldn't see the fulfillment. And, and they did not have, their phones did not have a Bible app on it yet. If you could believe that. Um, they were like back with the Motorola flip phone. I mean, they could barely even text in those days. T9, was that it? Yeah, <laughs> that was way back then. So what, dif- what difference, they didn't really know if God was going to come through, so what difference does this make to us in our lives and our faith? If you remember, I asked you to kind of drape yourself with that question, how am I practicing now to trust God tomorrow, to trust God this afternoon? How am I practicing now that this is real and this is true so that if tragedy strikes, when sorrow hits, that I can trust him? I want to give a statement that's true. Um and that we see made known in the, in the stories of Genesis. I want to give a statement that's true, and then I'm going to follow that by three conjunctions, okay? Here's the statement that is true. God is good, he is faithful and sovereign, and he will build his kingdom. That is true. And I'm going to follow that statement with three conjunctions. But, and, and so. Okay? God is faithful and sovereign and he will build his kingdom, but this is not something that should ever be presumed and it's not something that should ever be used to excuse sin or injustice or indifference. God's sovereignty is never a get-out-of-jail-free card. God's grace is never a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not to be neglected or presumed. Uh, I've told this story before when I, was, I went to a small Baptist school, uh, college, and uh, we were playing intramural basketball, and my friend uh, got hit with a pass, and you know the pass that makes the popping noise, and everybody in the gym goes, ah, because you know the thumb has been jammed? He experienced that. We all heard it, and it was loud. And shortly after we heard that pop, we heard a loud profanity that came out of his mouth. Small Baptist school, refs teed him up. Not a question. That's a technical foul miraculously the pain went away. I mean, it was, it was incredible how fast the pain went away and how, much, how fast he went from agony to argument. No, 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 no. You can cuss if you're injured. It's in the rule book. Look, look it up. It was incredible how fast he just, he was able to like, like he, like he knew that going into every game. And if you knew my friend, that would not surprise you at all. Um, God's sovereignty is not a technicality to get us out of of certain things. It's not to be presumed or, or, or indifferent. In this story, Abraham twice abandons his wife. And it's not only that he abandons his wife, he abandons the mother of the promise uh, that God has given. God has said she will be the one. And then his son is gonna do this. Isaac does the same thing with Abimelech. Now, here's the deal. They are new to knowing and understanding God. They are living amongst the pagan world. Things were common in the pagan world. Uh, Abraham, still not sure what's going on, so we can apply some grace uh, to them because they're, he's, and we're not told necessarily, God doesn't say in scripture if this is condemned or excused. We're, we, if we look at Genesis and you read through there, it's gonna be hard if you read through the lens of, was that, was that good? Was he supposed to do that or was that bad? This was bad. I'll tell you right now, this was bad. God doesn't follow up every story in Scripture with, and this, he should not have done this. Or, no, this one's cool. He should not have done this. So they're new to knowing and understanding God, but what we will see is God continues to make himself known. God is forming and fashioning a people intentionally with Humility intentionally from the lowest, to care and make known his grace and mercy among the lowest. And that God cares deeply about justice and about holiness. God cares deeply about both. You cannot be moral and indifferent to the suffering of people around you. You cannot be moral and indifferent to those who are culturally at a disadvantage. The outsider, the foreigner, the poor, the widow, the sick. As the church, we can't be, we can't say, well, it's not my fault. It's personal responsibility. It's on them. That that just doesn't fly. We are not allowed to be indifferent. Is personal responsibility a thing? Yes, absolutely. But there is no justification, nor are we justified to say the government covers that. I don't have to. We are to care. That's the call of the church. We cannot be blind, nor can we be indifferent to suffering, oppression, or injustice. Now, we can debate the best strategies of care. Absolutely. We can debate and discuss what are the best ways to uh, address these issues. But Jesus tells us it's not that the issues were ever, will ever be solved. That's not the point. The point is, are the people of God being faithful to being the people of God and caring about people that can't advance your agenda at all? Not caring is not covered under this policy. Abraham and Isaac fail to defend their wives. God does not. God steps in and defends them big time. Eventually, when God's people don't do what God called them to do, God not only steps in, but God also deals pretty harshly with his people. Isaiah is filled with warning after warning. You guys are doing great on the moral scale. You're going to church every week. You've got all your, you got all your religious things checked off, and yet you have not cared about the poor, or the outsider, the marginalized. I don't even know you. You're not my people. On the other side, this is true as well. You can't do... We cannot do the work of justice and care and compassion and mercy and yet care little about holiness or about God, about obedience to God. Somehow it baffles me that these have been pitted against each other. And yet it doesn't. It's been, they've been pitted against each other for a long time. It's a weird thing in in history. Doing the work of justice does not build up credit so that we can just ignore the holiness of God. God is sovereign and faithful, and he will build his kingdom, but this cannot produce in us any kind of pride. This is the term election, okay? You can apply that as, you can be as reformed and hardcore with that as you want, or uh, you can go the other way, Arminian with that, if you, if you find a way. Election is not, should never say, I was chosen first. It's not like kickball in elementary school. If I have to give reference to that. Uh, God has chosen his people to make known the glorious riches of his grace and mercy. So this is not like, I'm better than you. This cannot produce pride in us. This produces mission in us. I have been loved to love It's not as if we are insiders and those people are outsiders. Those people are oftentimes the one that God has called his people to demonstrate love and mercy and grace toward, if we are truly called to be his people. And what we see over and over and over again in Hebrew scriptures, God has called his people to be a light to the nations, not to become like the nations nor to condemn the nations, but to be a light to and among the nations. And sometimes I chuckle at the amount of blame that Christians put on non-Christians for not acting like Christians. Full stop, next, next part. God is sovereign and faithful and will build his kingdom and this should be a tremendous comfort. You and I are not big enough to screw this thing up Amen, amen. This should be, a, no, it cannot produce indifference in us, but it can take so much of the pressure off. Christian, you are not called to be Jesus. Guess who is? Jesus, and he did a pretty good job of it. He saved the world, not you, not me. We're not called to win the world for Jesus. We're called to bear testimony that Jesus has won the world. your labor nor your failure are big enough to undo or improve God's kingdom. Amen. And as God begins this incredible part three or four or however many stories we are into this do-over of redemption with Abraham, the promise he gives is this. Abraham, you trust me. You trust me and go among the nations and let me, deal with them. You go be a blessing and let me deal with them. And Abraham goes. And we see some incredible moments of faith and trust where Abraham's faith is like unbelievable. And then we see some moments of like, what are you doing? What's going on here? And then there's a whole lot of in-between that we're not told about. There has to be days where Abraham wakes up in the morning and goes, am I crazy? Heron was not that bad. I could go back there. Dad's probably still there. I could go back there. Am I crazy? Is this crazy? We're crazy. And yet he keeps going. He keeps sojourning. At 75, that's his retirement. Let me give you some great news. You ready for this? This is great news. Abraham did not walk two feet off the ground. Abraham was in fact a human being. He was a human being just like you and me. Abraham struggled just like you and me. Abraham needed the promises of God, the covenant of God over and over and over again and to renew that just like you and me. Abraham trusted God and had to grow into that just like you and me. I look around at the state of the church in our day and I am heartbroken. I see my own junk. I see the junk of people around me and the minute I feel convicted, I'm like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have said that, but look at that guy! And I go and I, and like this war in me and this news cycle this week alone at the fallenness of leaders and the absolute wickedness of those who have uh, proclaimed to be Christian and lamenting the loss of friendships and relationships over the last year and I weep over the state of the Capital C Church in America I do not, the the global church actually is doing just fine. And sometimes as Americans, we need the reminder that we are not the point of everything. But I weep over the state of the church. So many things by themselves would be huge crises at this point. And yesterday afternoon, I was just hit with a deep lament over where everything is. And at the depths of these, at the depths of this lament and these thoughts, I have been met pretty consistently with the comfort that God is on his throne and that he will build his church. He will refine her. He will make her beautiful. There's an old hymn our pastor used to sing in Texas. If you know it, I'd be amazed. My mom knows it. She's a church organist forever, but... um, If you know it, sing along. If you don't, listen to the words. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God moves his dear children along. Where the cool waters flow, bathes the weary one's feet, God moves his dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood some through great sorrow but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long God is sovereign he is faithful he will build his kingdom we can rest in that There's a lot more stories. Isaac, Jacob, it's kind of funny, the author of Hebrews basically says they gave birth to sons and blessed them. (laughs) That's That's their contribution, Um, which is amazing, but um, we're not gonna go through that. There's a whole lot in between there, but one more story from Abraham that Hebrews addresses, and it's a big one, and we're gonna cover it quickly. But Abraham and Isaac finally see, uh, sorry, Abraham and Sarah finally see the promise of God come to fruition in the birth of their son, Isaac. God has protected them, he has given them plenty of supply, and now finally, and he's made covenants over and over and over with them, and and finally God has given them a son. And then God, in, in Genesis chapter 22, when Isaac is of age, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, the son of promise, to sacrifice him on the altar. Now, hear me on this. Should we have problems with this? Should this cause us to stir a little bit? Yes, absolutely it should. But also hear this. This is not uncommon in pagan practice in this day. Child sacrifice was a, a not, sadly, not as way out as, as maybe we would like to think. And so God making himself known to Abraham, putting his faith to the test, actually cementing his faith. Now that this promise has been fulfilled, God asks Abraham to sacrifice the son of promise. that Abraham has waited 25 years for. And in this moment, Abraham's faith has been steadied. He trusted God to provide here. In fact, Hebrews tells us God could even raise him from the dead. He trusted God that much with the child of promise. Abraham's faith is reassured His trust in God God is cemented that much more as God provides the sacrifice at the very last minute in the form of a ram. The full story of this faith, this people, that Abraham is at the very, just the very, very, very beginning. He could never possibly see or understand at all that would unfold And yet somehow he continued to trust God even in the darkness, even when it didn't make sense. And once Abraham fully sees the faithfulness of God's promise in the birth of Isaac, it's like his faith explodes. Not only that, but in the very next verses he will establish a covenant with Abimelech. The king who he had been put at odds who experienced the fear of the Lord and it's almost as if God is blessing Abimelech through Abraham being there and he's allowed to be on the land Together. We have the full story. We have the God who would not find an alternative to sacrificing his own son. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have been set free from having to try to establish, his, establish God's kingdom for him. And as the people of God, our testimony is that much more beautiful and powerful. We present him so much more glorious when we simply prepare and walk faithfully that he will build his kingdom and that we don't have to do it for him. No politician, no opposition, no policy, foreign or domestic, no economic system will either establish or thwart his kingdom. But when God's people humbly trust and walk faithfully, God works in the midst of that. These stories are given to us. This history is given to us so that we too can trust God. Latin phrase that I've said a few times fideus quorum intellectum faith seeking understanding. I don't don't get all of this. Uh, Abraham's story is a mystery to me. Um, We're not going to know everything, we're called to pursue and know God. He's invited us to know him. He never tells us to just close our eyes and plug our ears and pretend that all the, any questions against him are not true. He invites us to know him and to study him, to see him at work, not only in his word, but in the world around us, and to trust that he is present. We're called and he is faithful to affirm and reassure our faith and trust. The author of Hebrews caps this off with the therefore, the so. So, um, uh, in the beginning of chapter 12. And this is going to be your assignment for this week. Okay? I'm going to encourage you to memorize Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, As you consider, how am I trusting Jesus in this day? How am I preparing to trust him tomorrow? How am I not being, how am I being intentional with actually recalling these stories of faith and not getting set up on, do I have it all right? Is my doctrine pristine and and absolutely right on? How am I trusting him now for tomorrow? This is a verse that I think could be really, really helpful to memorize. Uh, that this verse can help you get up in the morning and, and motivate you and push you to go throughout your day, but this verse can also actually put you to bed at night and help you to sleep and rest. Okay, God is faithful and sovereign, and he will build his kingdom. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, despised the shame, uh, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated, meaning his work is done, he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us these stories. These are not... Uh, uh, Forgive us when we look at these and say, what are are the moral uh, things we should take from this? Or what are the things we should be outraged about this? These are stories of your faithfulness. There's a lot we need to ask questions about and look at in here. And these are stories that are not without application to our own soul. But at the end of the day, what we see is that you are good, you are sovereign, you have established your kingdom. Your kingdom will not be thwarted. But God, as the people of God... We are often the biggest hindrance. There is no nation that stands against you that is any threat to your kingdom. But as your church, may we be faithful. May we not try to establish your kingdom for you. May we not be taken up with a, with a kingdom of Babel um, and, and trying to make a man-made kingdom here on earth. But may we be faithful and humble yet confident that we serve a king uh, whose, whose kingdom will never fail. May we rest in that. May we walk faithfully in that. May we bear witness to that reality in humility, not by being jerks, but by being humble yet confident. We have nothing to prove to anything, but we're called to put on display your goodness and mercy. So we ask that we would see your hand at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.